Hello and welcome to A Pivotal Moment, a podcast series about ordinary people who made extraordinary decisions, both in their business and personal lives. I'm Mark Cahalan, and in this episode, I'll be talking to Tommaso Leary, who set up his first business when he was in school and went on to establish a global multi-million euro enterprise, Origina. Tomás is also a major influencer in the global right to repair movement. Tomás, you're very welcome. Maybe you'd start by telling us a little bit about your background, your family, where you grew up. Delighted to be here, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. Tomás O'Leary is the name. Live in Rathgar, from Dublin 6 all my life. Born in, in Ranala, lived, brought up in Turinur, then Ratmines, Ranala area. Didn't move very far, obviously. Dublin 6 boy, um, school, primary school in Skullvrida, Oakley Road in Ranala. All Irish speaking school, and then went to down the road to Gonzaga College. Tomás, I know you um, set up a business when you were in university, which we'll come to. But you actually set up a business when you were in school. Well, you could call it that. Yeah, I, was, I think I've always been a little bit of an entrepreneur in my DNA, I suspect, um, as, a, as, a, as a young fella. Um, uh, one of the first things I remember doing uh, that has anything to do with business was, um, it wasn't a paper round, but it was a, a delivery of, of invoices or bills for the local chemist. And whatever the fee, I can't remember the exact fee, it was, it was pennies, whatever it was at the time, per, per drop on a Sunday for the local chemist. And I remember I had to do too many and I got two buddies of mine locally to take on some of the work. And uh, I didn't actually tell them the full fee I was getting. I think I took a penny off for every one that they dropped. So uh, that was my first time understanding margin. And then I remember in school, we did a, because later in life, the thing you talked about in, in university, I got involved in doing discos and uh, kind of events. The first event when we were 10 or 11, there was a bunch of us in primary school in Skullbreda. We did a disco which was a big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I, we, had a, we charged a fee in um, to our classmates and a couple of their pals came along. So yeah, so I, I kind of guess I've been a business person in my kind of blood, I suspect it was there anyway, that, that instinct. Where did it come from, do you think? Is, was there anything in your your family background or was it you yourself? Where no. Where did the interest come from? No, my father was in the, uh, was in the, uh, the Angara Shikona. Um, he became assistant commissioner, so he went up to the ranks. So he was effectively a civil servant. My mother was, as all mothers were in the, in the 1970s and 80s, uh, a housewife for a long period. And then she, she well, maybe had, uh, maybe some of it comes from her. She, when she got later in life, she got involved in China restoration and set up her own business with a couple of friends in Red Mines, fixing porcelain in China. And uh, uh, she did lots of interesting work, actually, but uh, never never made a lot of money at it, though. It wasn't, it wasn't a money spinner. Um, okay. So... Yeah, I don't know where that came from, to be honest with you. It seems to be in my extended family as well. Everybody has their own, has a business. There's very few people who are doctors and lawyers in my kind of extended family. Mm-hmm. So certainly on my mother's side, which would be a large, um, large family. She came from, from County Tipperary. Um, they're, they're all business people, true and true. You know, whether they're um, in the pub, because some of them are publicans in the pub business, restaurant business. Some of them are involved in... Um, uh, in 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 various kind of local businesses all around the country and even overseas. So um, it seems to be in the DNA, I suspect. So you're in university, you're looking out at the world and you're obviously going to go into business and nothing else. What type of business did you want to go into? I think when I went to university, I wasn't thinking about business, I'll be honest with you, even though I did a business degree. I think I did a, I did a degree, um, I, I think, so back a little bit, I, I went to Trinity because most of my, classmates went to UCD. So I was always kind of trying to do something different. Okay. So that was kind of in my DNA. If somebody went one way, I'd kind of try to go the other way and show that I could do it. 
So that was, it was a kind of a desire to do something a little bit different always, even though that may not sound very different going to Trinity versus UCD. But to me at the time, when, when you've got 50 classmates and 40 something of them are going to UCD and sure. there's a handful of us went to Trinity. So I was going to Trinity if I could get in, um, regardless. Uh, I was lucky enough to get enough points to get into Trinity. Um, I wasn't particularly academic. Uh, you, I, you know, you wouldn't have said, oh, that guy, I doubt people in Gonzaga would have said, oh, yeah, Tomas O'Leary is going to be a success um, necessarily, uh, certainly from an, not from an academic perspective. Um, but uh, I was smart enough and I knew when to apply myself. And, and I found when I got involved in business, I really enjoyed it. And actually, I found I was really good at it. You know, um, I was good at organizing. I was very thorough. Um, I was diligent. Things that I wasn't, I suspect, uh, as good as when I was doing the academic side of things um, and I had a desire to do it right you mm-hmm. know so that that kind of thing was in, in me from the very beginning and I'm interested Tomas just going back there you said when you were in university you weren't actually thinking of going into business were there other things you were weighing up at that stage no I think when I went I went to university at 19 and I was only sorry what age would I be in 1988 I would have been actually 17 when I went to okay. Trinity first so 17 in, in Trinity, I don't think I was thinking of anything other than, you know, you know, having a good time. I don't know what 17-year-olds or 18-year-olds did I think about today, but I wasn't thinking of a career. I wasn't thinking of anything. That starts to creep in as you get closer to the to the end of the period. I mean, yes, there were people in university, there were things like those milk rounds and companies came in, but it was never on my radar. Um, I never felt actually... Those sort of companies, I never really wanted to be a corporate citizen. I'd always kind of looked at those things. I said, I, I, I wouldn't do that. I'd try something different. So when I finished university, then I, that's, I decided to go overseas and maybe learn a language. So I went to, ended up going to France for a few years after college. And, and that's where I kind of cut my teeth in the business world, really. What did you do there? Worked for a travel company um, over there, um, a very successful, fast-growing travel company called uh, GTA, they were a private company owned by a couple of um, very interesting people. Three three guys. Well, two initially came out of um, uh, Iran. They left Iran at the fall of the Shah and came to Europe and started organizing holidays for Israelis initially um, coming to Europe. And they put it up with a, um, a Japanese guy and then they created a Asian arm. It was all inbound travel into Europe. So they were organizing everything from hotels, coaches, long distance coaches, local coaches, guides, assistants, restaurants. Uh, museum entrance, everything but the flights back then. So this is, this is way before the internet. So that was our first time getting involved in a company. I, I had no experience, brought in there, and I was very quickly given responsibility for um, a bunch of different markets. So the base was organized by markets. Um, so inbound from Asia, from Japan was one market, inbound from the rest of Asia, um, including Hong Kong and, and Southeast Asia was another market, inbound from Israel and then inbound from the rest of the world. That was kind of how it was structured. And they gave me everything very quickly. Like within eight, nine or 10 months of working there, they gave me ownership of, of every market except for Japan. Um, and then eventually they gave me part of J- the Japanese market as well. Um, I, I found that I was actually really good at organizing things. I had a really good um, kind of uh, uh, skill set of, uh, of knowing what had to be done just instinctively and I was very highly competitive something that I wasn't really in other walks of life I was so those days you can remember the 80s and 90s the biggest market in the world and everybody looked up to the Japanese and sure. so here I am working with loads of Japanese and I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking 
I can work harder than these guys. So I did. I, I was, was mad. Like I used to <laughs> stay in the office till the last Japanese left. Then they would stay late. Could be till midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And I would, not every single day, because I was going out and the lads with the beers, but most days I'd make sure I was back in the office before they turned up. Where did that come from? Yeah, it's a good question. That that's that's I don't know where that came from. If I'm perfectly honest with you, um, I've asked myself that many times, and I, I it's 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 a, it's a deep desire. So it's it's kind of hard to to explain. How do you? It's I, when I look at sports people, I I actually really understand where they come from. How, where that that kind of deep desire to 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 succeed and to win. Um, that's absolutely in my DNA. Uh, so a corporate athlete. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, without yeah, without the physique. <laughs> so the mo- you're there for four years in in France. I was there. It always seems like longer when you're younger. I think. Sure. You know, you know, everything seems. You know, one year seems like a lifetime. Um, I think I was there for three years. Okay. Um, from about so I left university in '92. Went uh, eventually arrived in Paris, kind of um, kind of the autumn of ninety two, um, and left in May ninety five to join IBM. Um, Why IBM was that uh, just chance, or were you particularly interested in working with um, IBM? I wasn't particularly interested in working at IBM. I, I, in fact, I, I, I had planned to go to Japan with the company I was working with. GTA had invited me to go to Japan. I had done some really good work with them. Um, and I had a bit of a sponsor within the organization, one of the, the co kind of senior directors, um, out in Japan took a, took a liking to the work I was doing. He'd offered me a position out there. And, but I actually had a, what I didn't realize, this is something that I would recommend everybody to get as soon as you can in your career. But I, I found it by accident. I, I got a mentor. Um, he was a business guy called, um, Furukawa's son, Mr. or in France, Monsieur Furukawa. He was a, in the travel business and I worked with him and he was, I think at the time he might've been in, in similar age to I am now, maybe a little bit younger, maybe late forties, early fifties. And he took me under his wing without even me realizing, and I didn't really fully appreciate it. It was many, many years later that I appreciated what, what he was there. He was helping me. We were doing business together. We got on well. Um, and then I remember at the time I was offered the position the position that I got offered, by the way, was just a graduate recruitment. So it was less money than I was currently on. It would have been less money than I would have been making in Japan. It was part of a recruitment program. So then they offered me the job. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I didn't know what to do because I was really happy. I kind of, it's like, as I said, two, three years seems like an awful long time at that age. And I was settled in Paris. I was prepared to go to Japan if I needed to. I really enjoyed the company. But Furukawa-san said to me, if you stay in this industry, it is an industry that's been around a long time. Okay, travel industry, whereas the technology industry is a new industry. I said, you've the biggest company in the world in that industry is IBM. I said, you will regret not taking that opportunity. My advice is to take that opportunity. And I took his advice and left Paris and came back to Ireland. I trusted his judgment and I took his advice on board. As that was a wise thing to do. Do you trust easily in business? I do. Yeah, I think I do. Um, I sometimes too easily. I would have in the past. Um, and a lesson I definitely learned um, from being in business is that you need to be careful who you trust. Um, because I have been let down by people who have trusted in the past. So now I really use that as my barometer. That's my first and foremost barometer of of, of who I would engage with. And if I don't feel I can trust them, 
I will not do business with them. Doesn't matter, what, you know, uh, what who they are, what they've come, where they've come from. Some of that's around likability. You like somebody because that's connected to trust. But yeah, and it's hard to trust people you've never, you've only met a short period of time. But my instinct is getting better. You know, if I think I think you can sniff these things out a little bit easier as you get older. Certainly, I would have been far too trusting as as a younger man. I would have trusted my own ability, regardless of the situation, to get through stuff. And that doesn't work really it doesn't work on its own so we're seeing an early experience with business from your childhood mm. a very strong competitive nature in the in the world of of work trust is really important and now you're in IBM so where did you start and what was that all like oh uh, i started working with uh, in the retail uh, they had just won a deal at the time to automate the countertop automation on post which was kind of effectively retail, you know, um, or stroke banking, effectively a simple banking and retail p- platform they'd put rolled out to all of the post offices in Ireland. And around the same, around that time, IBM brought out a computer tail that was basically a PC. It was a DOS-based or Windows-based T- PC at the time. So this is kind of, kind of 96, 97, maybe 96. And they gave it to me. And I was like, literally, and I'm like, when I, because I worked in the travel industry and knew nothing about technology. And quite honestly, I still probably know nothing about technology. So I get the till and the guys go, and I go, this looks great. It's like a integrated till. So before then, you get, you, what you do is you got a PC and you got a, a bar, a, a, a credit card scanner and you got a plugged in a barcode reader and you got a, got a, got a screen. And that was your till effectively. Mm-hmm. And they weren't designed to work in a, in a shop floor because, you know, there's spillage and there's all sorts of things and they could break and there's wires. So they brought out this new till, which was integrated. So it looked like one unit, right? So, and they, you still see them in shops around the place. And they gave me this thing and said, could you go and sell this thing? I said, oh, great. How does it work? Well, it doesn't, you need some software. I said, who makes the software? This is my first experience of software. Well, we don't make it in IBM. I said, okay, so what do I do? So literally I was like walking home that very day, but I, my father had an apartment in Milltown and I was walking from uh, Burl- near Burlington Road or Pembroke Road um, to back through Ranala. And there was a spa in Ranala at the time. Um, I think it's still there. Is it? Maybe it was called, it was the spa of the year of 1995 or something. Okay. And I remember going into the spa and asking to see, uh, could I talk to anyone responsible? And the, the guy in the, in the spa I think he was the manager or maybe the owner. I'm not sure what he was. He brought me into the back room, which was covered with magazines and books and stocks and boxes. We sat on chairs, not not unlike this. And I, I said, oh, and I gave him my business card. By the way, working with the Japanese as well was very important how you gave your business card. You know, I still do it to this day. So I gave him my business card, which is a big deal to me. And he looks at my business card and sees IBM. And of course, oh, IBM. Okay. So sat down. And I said, I'd love to learn more about the retail industry. Um, and what's, you know, I'm trying to find, I was effectively trying to find the, the software companies, but I didn't want to ask that question straight out. I didn't want to go straight out with the question. Long story short, he, there's magazines on the table. He goes, you should talk to these guys, Shelf Life or Checkout Magazine. They're out in Dunleary, got in touch with them and became their, for a short period, their agony aunt <laughs> on technology. Nothing on technology, but I had to meet them in Dunleary. I said, I'll be your agony aunt and started writing a uh, uh, questions that a retailer would. So I initially wrote the questions and then got some colleagues that I met who were experts on technology in the UK to give me the answers. And the first episode or first edition, I, I was my questions and their answers. And then people started writing to me. 
So I had some retailer in Castlebar kind of sending me a letter in the post and somebody else from, um, you know, from Thurlis and else all over the country. We were, people started sending letters to Moss O'Leary in, in, in IBM. And not huge numbers, but enough. And from that, then the software companies got in touch with me. And they were interested because they had seen, they read it as well. And suddenly, and obviously on IBM, and then out of the blue, then a bunch of these software companies come, come in and start, you, instead of rolling, when they were winning their business, their deals, they'd win a deal, you know, whether it's with a spa or chain or with Mace or any of the other simple groups or, or even kind of domestic retailers who were below the level of the big international guys, they started using the tail. So I think, I, I think at one stage I sold more in Ireland at one point than anywhere else in Europe, because I don't think they sold any of them. They didn't know how to sell them. And Tomás, you, you said a moment ago you weren't particularly, I don't, you didn't say not interested, but you weren't an expert on technology. What is it about you that enabled you to be a success? That's scepticism, actually. When you're not an expert in something, you're constantly questioning it. I think if you're an expert in something, you're, you're, you're constantly trying to tell people how good you are. So I always think, think of myself not an expert. So I'm constantly questioning why, why, why do you do it that way? Why is it, why does software cost so much money? Uh, how come, um, these, you know, the, the, the top five richest guys in the world are all from, from technology companies, you know? Uh, this, this, this industry isn't around as long. You know, I mean, some of the stuff I do with uh, some of the lobby organizations I work with, it's about questioning the industry. So I think, I think that's one of the things that makes me different. There's a strong sense of a restlessness about you almost in your career. You're, you're, you're puzzled and you, you like to go your own way. So, you know, there's the expression, you never get fired for hi hiring IBM. Mm. When did you begin to think about making your own move into your own business? I wanted to be the leader, I guess. Um, I wanted to be the one making the decisions. Um, even if they were the wrong decisions, I wanted to be the one that makes, makes the decisions. Um, and I enjoy that. I still, that's one of the things I really enjoy about the work I do today is I make decisions and then seeing them come mostly, <laughs> not always, trust me, but mostly to some sort of level of fruition. Um, and that gives you more confidence, and then you can make the next decision. And, and that's what business life is. It's a series of, of decisions. When did you decide you were going out on your own and how did that happen? It was chance. Um, an opportunity came for me to get involved in a business that was going to be a partner of IBM's. Um, and I took it, got involved in it in about 1998, I think it was. Yeah, 98. And I had been instrumental in setting up IBM's channel. So I went from that helping people to sell that till to then they said, okay, why don't you try and help people to sell wider range of IBM products? That was a little bit more challenging. And but one of the things they needed were partners. And I found a company in the UK. They found a guy locally here. It was a reseller business. We bought stuff from IBM, sold it to customers. That was the route to market. We started developing skills around certain areas of technology. Um, but it was a simple kind of agency, kind of well, like what they call in the industry value add a reseller. But we wouldn't, we weren't making anything ourselves. We were, we were, we were basically buying someone else's technology, represent them in the market. And selling it, sell, selling it, selling it to the customers. I mean, some some cases they were going to buy it anyway from somebody, and some cases we genuinely had to try and convince them to buy IBM's versus them buying somebody else's. Did you enjoy that initially? Yeah, I did. I enjoyed it initially, uh, but then I got to the stage where I didn't really enjoy it because it didn't feel very fulfilling. It felt like just a business. Um, so after a while, you kind of I was that desire to do something different. It didn't feel very different, and it ended up. Perhaps because that was maybe I was not fo as focused on it, it got itself 
into a little bit of difficulty as some businesses can. And we uh, ended up uh, being removed from the IBM program, couldn't sell the technology anymore. And that was the catalyst to really, oh God, I actually could be serious trouble here. Like the business was was, was failing under my nose and had uh, gone from being a business with about 40 staff. I had to downsize it qu- pretty quickly. Um, and we then at the same time, we had a recession in the country. This is kind of 2009, 2010. And 2011, that period where it was really tricky. So I had to try and do something different. But that catalyst to what I do now, I think I'm very grateful for for that. So, Tomás, it sounds like your back's very much against the wall. As you look back on that now, what did you learn from that experience? I think I learned about more more about myself than anybody else. I learned about my who I who who I could go back to. You talked earlier about who you could trust. That's really critical, okay? But when your back is against the wall, you look around and say, who are the people that could, will will support you? And it's clearly number one, my, what I call it my number one fan is my wife. So Leona would be absolutely critical in that journey, the support that she gave me during the, 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 that, the challenge of trying to figure out how do I get myself out of the situation? You know, the business was massively in debt. Technically, probably in any other circumstance, should have been closed down. Um, but I managed to save it. Um, so I think that then what you do then when you get through that is you learn, God, actually, I have some skill set here. I think because every entrepreneur has to know what makes them good. You have to understand what makes you good at your job. Without necessarily being too arrogant about it, you got to have feet on the floor. But if you don't understand what you're actually good at, and really that's the bit you got to leverage. And for me, it was about the ability to spot around me some of my very close friends who really stood by me, particularly my wife I mentioned. And then in business, the business friends, because you have a separate set of friends that, that really some of them stepped up to the plate. You, our mutual friend, Jimmy Fisher, for example, people like Jimmy who would have, you know, without even being asked, kind of, brought me to beat people to try and help me, you know? And then you figure it out. It's not a, it's not a perfect process. It's not a science. It's not like, oh yeah, you go from A to B to C. Isn't that way? What happens is you go, you're in A and you're trying to get to wherever you're trying to get to, but you've got to make a decision. What do I do next? And I found myself, I'll give you an example. Jimmy brought me to see a guy who ran an insolvency company and got a favor done. A guy called Ken Fennell, who ran Cavan uh, uh, and Fennell, I think was one of the company now part of Deloitte. And Ken ran the numbers on my company. Dead man walking was what he called. But he wrote a report and he was giving me the thing. And I was had it in my hand. And I said, of course, I couldn't afford to pay. And he, as a favor to Jimmy, he just it was a kind of a two-pager. I said, can I, can I take this? And he goes, yeah. So I took it out and that was the report that I used to get myself out, out of trouble because I needed evidence to show that I was in, I was in really bad shape. I needed to buy time with, with creditors. I needed to buy time with my staff. I needed to figure out what are they going to do. And I had to take a lot of pain. And I found I was good at taking pain. Um, as, you know, um, so I think when you discover all those things about yourself, it's what pulls you through. It also gives you the confidence that when the next, because there always are challenges, when the next challenge, it'll be, it'll be different, it mightn't be bankruptcy, but you're going to come across a challenge later in your, your career, whether it's maybe the people you've hired or maybe it's just the business isn't growing the way it was or maybe you've overstretched yourself. You know deep down that actually you have the ability to get yourself out of the situation. Can you remember what the emotion was for you during that period? What were you feeling? Were you were you afraid? What were you? What no. was motivating you? What no, was going on? Not not afraid. No, never. I was never afraid. In fact, I was quite calm about those things. Um, it was anger. 
anger was the biggest emotion. Um, and, um, it, yeah, my guys in the office would say that my people that know me well enough, they, they know I love a good fight, you know. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm up for, up for that, you know, give me a situation where my back is against the wall and, you know, I'll come out fighting. And as you look back, Tomas, was that an evolution into original? Was it a pivotal moment? How did you get there? No, I don't think there was a pivotal moment per se, necessarily. I think all, all of these things are always an evolution. There, are, there were moments that you said, OK, this I could look back and say that 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 was a transformational moment. You know, that one I mentioned about being given the the the, the document that, that that gave me a key to unlock the pressure I was going to be under for creditors. And then later in life, you know, an opp- the opportunity to come across people um, who could help me. You know, they were pivotal moments, people I met along the way who were prepared to help me. I had so, so many people have helped us in our business. You know, it's not, it's not just me, by the way. I'm, not, I'm, 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 I'm the leader of the business, but, you know, Rowan, Rowan O'Donoghue, my partner. You know, the people who've helped him and, and me in the business um, and all the other people have joined us since. Brendan Walsh and, and you know, I mentioned Jimmy, who's on part of the team. And because we've got some, we've got a great team. Um, but um, you, you you get to a place, I think, where you um, find you trust these people and you trust yourself and you then can, there's a little bit of rinse and repeat because you can know you can do it again, but you've always got to be learning it. But, you know, you've got to be, tr- you got to be, you know, and, and what the business I have now, remember, I, I used to be the Sony sales guy. Now I have a whole sale. I don't sell anymore. I've got a different role. So you've got to be prepared to change your job because if you don't change your job, by the way, the job will somewhere else. It'll it'll be changed for you. And Tomas, just before we finish, you're a leading influencer in the whole right to repair movement. You've been into, you've met congressmen, you've been into the EU. What is it that drives you ab- about that issue? I think it's a human issue. To be honest with you, it's a human issue related to the impact of technology on the planet. The the the, uh, the fact that there's zero zero regulation in that industry. You know, when you can't, you can't even do anything. Even in this room here, there's some regulations around what you're doing and how you do stuff. Health and safety. A technology industry for years has no, reg- no, no rules. They make up their own rules, particularly software. They can change the license terms. They can come and audit companies. They can, they call all the shots. To me, that goes back to like my founding kind of motivation. The big guy beating up the small guy. And I just, I don't like that. You know, I don't like bullies and uh, I decided to get involved and talk to legislators about it and say, listen, do you think this is fair? And you know, the funny thing is, they can't argue, it's impossible to argue that this is fair. Okay, you, there is protection of intellectual property rights and there's protection and we want innovation. Yes, of course we do. But we don't want, you know, the situation where we've people monopolizing industries and making super profits and ultimately them dictating how the markets run. You know, so when I talk to European legislators, I say, you know, these is 400 and something million people here in Europe. These companies come into the market. See, these are, you are the, you are the legislators of this market. You need to decide on what basis they come in. At the moment, it's the other way around. They're deciding on the basis. Um, and I don't, I don't agree with that. I think it needs to be, needs to be, needs to encourage, um, you know, um, you know, European businesses and all businesses, but they needs to be done fairly. And I think that's what, but that's what I've done there. I've also found, which was not the reason I did it in the first place, but why I probably stayed involved and still involved, it really helps my business as well. So it helps me get a profile that I wouldn't otherwise get. Um, and I would encourage any entrepreneurs to try and think just outside the box. Don't just do your own business. Get involved in, in other, other areas. And I think you'll, you'll, you'll get huge rewards from it. As you look back on it all, Tomas, is there 
anything you'd do differently now? I'd love to have had more time with my family, my wife, with my friends. I, I, I miss things that I can't do. But then you can't do this and have that. So and I don't know. don't think I'd do anything differently, really. And finally, any advice to anyone who has that question in their own head about setting up on their own? Just do it. Make the decision. Back yourself. Don't procrastinate. The only way to actually know you're going to be any good at something is to actually go and do it. Um, and that's what you'll get the confidence from. Tomás O'Leary, thank you very much. You've been listening to A Pivotal Moment. My name is Mark Cahalan. I help businesses tell compelling stories to engage their stakeholders. I coach senior business leaders on systemic change and leadership. I partner business teams to help them drive high performance. And when business relationships go wrong, I help them all negotiate better ways of working together. You can find out more on my take on these topics at martelloleadership.com. Thank you.